prayer. Lord, we can't begin to express our gratitude for the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ in our lives and for the beauty of his love for us. And we just pray, Lord, we recapture that this day and that you truly would think our thoughts, that my lips would be your lips and that, Lord, you would transform us by your grace one more time. For we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a tradition in my family growing up that we would always get Silver Queen corn on Maryland's eastern shore on our way to Chincoteague, Virginia, and on our way home. And at this stand where we would stop, there was a, a, there's a, there's a corn stand, and next to it was a stand with the same family, and they were selling beach trinkets. You know, uh, beach balls, towels, suntan lotion, and all kinds of tacky, shinketeague, uh, and Ocean City paraphernalia. But what was most interesting was their velvet paintings with blankets. So whatever those things were with vibrant chartreuse colors. Everyone who's child of the 70s, you know of what I speak, right? Okay, there was Velvet Jesus. There was Velvet Johnny Cash, and my favorite was Velvet Elvis. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm coming into my own. I'm sorry, me and my dad got a pretty fun relationship, and my dad's sitting there, you know, he's, he's ready to get this trip over with with these kids, right? And so he's, he's paying the guy for uh, the corn, and I look over and I go, hey, dad, look at that wonderful piece of art. And he goes, he goes, piece of work, I think. You know, that's never going to be in the Hirshhorn Museum of Art, I'll tell you. It's true. It's never going to be in the Hirshhorn Museum. But isn't it interesting, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians today, he uses a word, which in English is translated workmanship. The Greek word is poema. It can also be translated a masterpiece of art. And so as we continue our journey through contagious Christianity, my prayer for each and every one of us today is to see how special we are to the Lord. Because we all could use a little more grace, could we not? In today's world. And so I invite you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians 2. We're just going to focus on verses 8 through 10 today. You can find it in the back of your bulletin as well. Because we're doing this series because we live now in a post-Christendom culture. For a thousand years, Western culture has been what you might call a Christendom culture. Even if most people were not devout Christians, there was a positive understanding of Christianity. The great majority of people had a positive understanding of the church. And so it was not difficult to get people to come through the doors of a church. And many, 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 many people went to church just because they felt they should even if they didn't know Christ and walk with him. And secondly, the church, the culture, in, the church instilled in the culture a certain amount of background beliefs that the Bible assumes. They assumed that there was a moral law. They assumed there were moral absolutes. It assumed that they needed to be forgiven. The culture assumed 
that they were sinners, even if they wouldn't call themselves that. They assumed that was the case. They believed in a life after death. They believed in a personal God. And so when it came to evangelism up until a few years ago, the culture had these dots, and all we had to do was connect the dots. It was very common if you, you said to somebody, you know, nobody lives as they should unto the Lord. But yet it's through Jesus Christ, if we trust in him and his atoning work upon the cross for our sins, we have abundant life here in this world and forgiveness of sins. And when we die, we'll be in heaven. Wouldn't you want that? The question has become today, what happens if those dots aren't there? What if people don't believe in God? What if they don't believe in the moral absolutes? They don't trust the Bible, and they don't believe that they're sinners. And what if you can't get them to come through the door of a church and to hear the good news preached in the pulpit? And how are we going to win people in this post-Christendom culture? Well, brothers and sisters, this whole series has been just how we might do that. And I hope you're feeling at least a little bit more confident as you go out into the world throughout the week. That we've taken five weeks just to see the need for evangelism in our day. The fact that we each have a, a different fit that God can use. And then we looked at tools, and I gave you tools to help you. Further conversations, just through questioning evangelism, pre-evangelism, using the Bible itself in the booklets of sharing one-to-one. -one. It's the Bible in a booklet form. And try praying, come and see last week. Those are tools which are working even today. But today I want us to look at every now and then there is a person with a Christian memory in their lives. They remember their time in church as being warm, nice, have some fond memories of that. And so you get them in a conversation and you say, well, you know, you know, I've never heard about your story. Tell me. And you get in this conversation and you realize maybe they don't quite have two and two together yet. They don't have the assurance that a believer should have. And so you can take these three verses in the back of your bulletin, okay, of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, and just point them to what I call the treasures of God. Jesus said in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. And when the person in the field discovers that treasure, in his joy goes, sells all that he has and buys that field because that field is worth gazillions more than everything he owns. Right? That's what a walk with Christ is all about. And so the treasure chests of God are found in these three words that are found in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Grace, faith, and works. All right? We're going to look at these treasures that God gives us in grace, faith, and works. So let's look at this. First, it's the treasure of grace. You have been saved by grace. I want us to notice that Paul is writing the Ephesians here, and when he's talking you, he's not talking about you as an individual. He's talking about you, yes, as an individual, but he's talking to the Ephesians as you all. It's southern Greek, y'all. 
the whole chapter is y'all. There's no sense in the scripture of us living as individualists into God's kingdom. It doesn't exist. He says in verse 1, and y'all were dead in the trespasses and sins in which y'all once moved. Okay, and here he's going, for by grace y'all have been saved. Grace, that unmerited favor. Favor given to someone who deserves the opposite. Like Jean Valjean and Les Mis. I've said it before about 15 years ago, but I think it's worth repeating that Jean Valjean was a person who grew up absolutely oppressed, absolutely physically abused, went into a life of crime, as so many oppressed people might do, and he was a self-righteous person, filled with great pride, and he stole from people because of his self-righteousness, and he hated everybody. And you remember what happened. Getting out of jail, he was looking for a place to stay, and the bishop took him in. In the middle of the night, he broke into the bishop's silver because it was worth a lot of money. He grabbed the silver and left, and the cops brought Jean Valjean back to the bishop and saying, we've caught him, your grace. And the bishop looks at Jean Valjean and the cops and said, no, those are my gifts to him. My friend, you forgot the candlesticks. And he grabs the candlesticks and hands them to him, and then Jean Valjean has a decision. Hugo writes, at that moment, he could receive the grace and he would lose control of his life. Or, in his pride, he could hold on and refuse the grace and be in control of his life. Be self-righteous. As Jean Valjean thought in his heart, right? Maybe I shouldn't take this gift. Maybe I, I can pay my own way. I don't need anybody's grace. Of course, when you say that, you're still in control. And you feel superior. Or he could receive the grace, be accepted, be forgiven, and be freed. And then he would ha not have any right to be hating others because of the grace that's been extended to him. He would lose control. He would no longer be his own. Remember what the bishop says? I bought your silver with my power. And later in the, in the musical, he says these words, my soul belongs to God, I know. I made that bargain long ago. See, real grace when it's offered is threatening. But when it's received, to humble ourselves to receive it, it's life-changing. It's transformation, because that's what God is about. A cataclysmic change that he calls us to. And if you've not seen this change in your life, perhaps you've never really received the grace. Well, lots of people say they're Christians because, you know, I understand the offer of Christ. Be good, do well, you know. Follow Christ and he'll bless you. Hashtag blessed. I hate it. That's not grace. That's not blessing. That's not the offer and that won't change you. In fact, it'll just encourage you in your self-righteousness and you'll continue to feel yourself superior to everybody else. And there won't be any lasting change. 
real grace is offered, it's threatening. When real grace is received, it's transforming. And to really know that you're accepted surely because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. That in spite of everything you've done or everything you will do, God accepts you. Because of what Jesus did at his great cost. To admit that you're a sinner. To realize that the only way you can be received is through his grace. It's terribly threatening. But once you get received, it's life changing. It transforms us. And the reception of that grace leads to the second treasure, faith. Because it doesn't stop there, right? Verses 8. But by grace you've been saved through faith. Through faith. You might think it's faith then grace, but it's actually the opposite. It's grace then faith. Tim Keller describes faith as the kiss on a soul in death sleep. The kiss on a soul that's in death sleep. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. You know, dead people can't wake up, right? I think the image of Sleeping Beauty beautifully illustrates this relationship between grace and faith in this way. Every now and then, Kim and I uh, catch the other person sleeping. And kind of like the prince in, in Sleeping Beauty, she might or I might just walk up to that person while they're asleep and just give them a kiss. Well, if Kim kisses me, I'm going back for seconds. <laughs> All right? And so I'll grab her neck and I'll plant a big one on her. She's a light sleeper. I try to leave her alone most times, you know. But... The reality of Sleeping Beauty, the reality of our and our experience when a loved one kisses us while we're asleep is that we are incapable of bringing ourselves to consciousness. But the prince comes along and kisses you. And suddenly that death sleep is broken. And grace awakens faith, which immediately grabs the neck of that grace and holds on to it. Faith described in the Bible is essentially a consciousness, an awareness of actually who Jesus Christ is, a consciousness of the one who's literally just kissed you by his atoning work on the cross. Because of the love of the Father, you awake, and that grace leads to faith, and that faith grabs the grace. If you're struggling to go all in with Jesus Christ, if you're really struggling in your discipleship, what do you do? We've all been there. What do you do? You commit yourself to stay in the Word. Get back in the Word. Get back in to just a short time of prayer. Get back into seeking Him and His face. To even want Him means grace has awakened faith in you. Then if you exercise that faith, more grace comes. Grace enables the faith, but faith is the channel of that grace. And grace awakens faith, but then that faith grabs it around the neck and just keeps going and you keep growing. Do you want to follow Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? It's because the kiss of God is already on your soul. So be of good cheer. Don't be anxious. Don't be distressed. 
I know there's many people when it comes to growing in Christ are uh, really afraid of being that guy. Really afraid of being that born again person. Um, but you need to understand, if you're yearning for this, you're already born again. If you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ. You're already one of those guys. Alright? You just don't want to be that guy. Right? You know what I'm talking about. Alright? You see, you're already yearning and already stretching and already moving in the Lord means the kiss of God is already upon you. So grab his nap. Walk with him. He who comes to me, I will no wise cast out. And what we also have to remember is that that faith is not just some vague principle. It's Jesus Christ. Our faith is in him and that work that he's done for us. That faith saves us, of course, is a consciousness of the person and the work of Jesus. But having said all that, the third treasure is the proof that you got the grace and the faith, right? Grace leads to faith that leads to works, all right? You can't kid yourself. If something isn't really happening to change your concrete character and your behavior, the Bible tells us that we, we just can't kid ourselves. It's important that we get this order. For we are his workmanship, verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should all walk in them. We all, third person plural, you know, it's not y'all to we all, all right? Here it says we're saved by grace and we become his workmanship, and that's that beautiful word of poema. You are a beautiful poem that God is continually editing and making better and better and better. You are an absolute masterpiece work of art in Jesus Christ. We've all heard of times when great masterpieces are, are defaced for some silly reason. A Rembrandt or someone tried to attack the Mona Lisa a few years back. You know, it's just it's a tragedy if a piece of work gets defaced. And what do they do if it gets defaced? They bring in a, a, a master craftsman whose knowledge and skill and slowly through a process, they restore it to like new. He doesn't do that for Velvet Jesus. He does it for his masterwork pieces of art because you're his workmanship. That's what God is doing to anyone who through grace believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This means like chiseling through marble, you're changing. You know, you're not as irritable as you used to be. You're not as cantankerous as you used to be. You're not as prideful as you used to be. You're not as anxious as you used to be. You know, you're not uh, just trying to escape out of the grace and out of the faith. You're trying to get into it. And it's a process. But we progress in this. If there's not progress, if there's not slow but sure transformation, 
maybe you're resisting the very thing that Jesus died for in your life. He didn't just die to make you feel better. He died to make you holy. Jude says, and now to him who is to present you blameless. That's what he wants to do in each and every one of us. And he does that to the troubles in our lives like a chisel to a piece of marble. All those troubles. A good sculptor doesn't look at a piece of marble and say, you know, uh, I put the beauty into this piece of marble. He brought the beauty out of the piece of marble, right? How does he do that? Chisel, chisel. And this text tells us that you are God's workmanship created for particular works that only you can do. And he prepared them for you from before time. There's some people that only you can help. There's some people that only you can hug. There's some people whose lives only you can change. Why? Because of everything that's gone into your life. Every hammer, every chisel, all the troubles, even the bad things that have happened in your life are going to be used by God for his glory, for a work of transformation, not only in you, but in others. You didn't choose the parents that you had. You didn't choose how tall you are. You didn't choose your hair color or lack of hair. You didn't choose your gender. You didn't choose much of your IQ. And I know you didn't choose your troubles. You didn't choose your race or ethnicity. You didn't choose to be a Christian at all. But the God of the universe saved you, brought you to himself, and presents you for his beauty and for his glory. And that's the abundant life that we walk in. And those people who we reach out to, showing them grace, faith, works. We grow. And we grow, and as we do so, he's in charge, and he's turning you into something absolutely beautiful, something valuable, something available as an expression of the inner workings of the artist himself. For it is by grace that you're saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus Four good works that he has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. He has kissed your soul. Grab him around the neck. Then he begins that work in you and turns you into a masterpiece. And he makes you a person unique in your beauty, unique in your glory, unique, ready to do the things that only you will be ever be able to do. So think about that as we come to the table today. Think about that as you drive home today. Isn't that exciting? Because the gospel is for Christians too. And be exhilarated by that. And put yourself into the artist's hands. Don't resist the chisel. This is Genesis 3 world. 
going to get it. But give yourself to him now and just continue to live into the treasures that is a walk with Jesus Christ through his faith and his grace and his works. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good news for us today. And I ask that we might give ourselves to you completely and that we have nothing to fear. Some of us may be afraid to do so. Lord, help us to see that you are the master artist and you're turning us into a complete masterpiece. And I recognize either online or perhaps even in our space today, there might be so some who still don't know what it means fully to follow you, what it means to truly trust you. So we ask you to awaken in them the knowledge that you are seeking them. Awaken in them the knowledge that you're there and lead them to give themselves to you completely. And so, Lord, as we do so today, we ask you to open our eyes and enable us to understand and be conscious of you standing there, smiling at us, giving us your kiss on the cross, Lord Jesus Christ, and enable us to follow you with wholehearted devotion. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.